And we are live. Welcome to another episode of the Knicks Recap Podcast. I'm your host, Troy, and if you're not subscribed, I don't know what you're doing, hit that subscribe button. Make sure you have notifications turned on so you don't miss a second of the new content, especially the new content we're talking about right here, right now, because it's live right now. And joining me today is my very special guest. And he's here to speak everything Knicks with me. He's a former writer with Bleacher Report, but now you can find him as an NBA reporter for CBS Sports. My guy, Sam Quinn. What's going on, Sam? Thank you so much for joining the show today. I'm so happy to have you on, brother. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. Um, Yeah, I'm excited. You know, uh, things looking good for the Knicks, so let's dive in. Yeah, I can't wait, man. So as you said, you know, I want to go straight into something that we're talking about. And you know, the funny part is one of the things that we were we were talking about earlier before we actually went on is an article that you wrote. And by the way, if you guys are not reading Sam and his work, I, again, his at's on the screen. It's very easy. Hit that button. Support the man. Go to his page on CBS Sports. That's what I do to read his column. He wrote a great piece today. It's called NBA Trade Deadline. Why the gap between superstar supply and demand has never seemed wider. And it's actually kind of funny to start it off this way because uh, it touches on one of the first questions that we have. And we talked about this as well, Sam. It's regarding the Knicks trade plans because it's so crazy to think about this, right? The hottest team in the league right now is the New York Knicks. But we can't lie. We are down a few people. We're down OG Ananobi. We're down Julius Randle. We'll get to him in a few minutes because we do have an update on him, thankfully. Isaiah Hartenstein still on a minutes restriction. So it does make sense for the New York Knicks to potentially make that deal. But as you mentioned, they also have a shot to make a superstar type of trade. And as you mentioned in the article that I just referenced, they have set the blueprint, it seems like, in the last few years to set up what they're trying to make that move, that superstar move. So I guess really the question is, are the Knicks going to be a player at the trade deadline and what player are they going to target? Yeah, I think they're going to be active. Now, there's two different questions that we kind of have to answer here. There's the short-term question, which is, are they going to try to add some offense, which it seems like they are. I mean, I could throw out some names. I would say the likeliest players. Malcolm Brogdon makes a lot of sense. Um We'll see if Jordan Clarkson ends up getting traded. The Jazz are playing pretty well. There's not really an imperative there to move him, but Danny Ainge is Danny Ainge. He doesn't care about his record. He's going to make the trade that he thinks makes the most sense. If the Knicks made a good offer, I do think Clarkson would be on the table. Alec Burks, another guy that I'm watching, obviously a former Nick, playing well for Detroit now. Um, Obviously, he's been an up-and-down season for everybody in Detroit. But, you know, I I think – the concept of the Knicks adding some form of offensive shot creator, probably an bench role, makes some sense right now, you know, especially they have two first round picks in this draft. We saw this last year with Josh Hart. The Knicks did not among look, they wanted to get Josh Hart. That's why they made the trade. But one of the fringe benefits there, the Knicks did not have minutes to give to a rookie. I suspect they're going into this trade deadline with a similar thought process. They have two first-round picks. They're not going to play two rookies next year. I would say they're probably not going to play one rookie next year. Yeah, They don't want to just give away assets, but they don't want to waste assets on rookies that aren't going to be able to play for them. Right now, frankly, we're seeing this with Quentin Grimes. There aren't enough minutes to go around to keep everybody happy. So I would suspect that they want to trade one at least one of these first-round picks to get somebody who can help the bench offense step in for Emmanuel quickly now in Toronto, obviously. But that's not the big long-term question. The big long-term question is when are the Knicks going to trade for, you know, the A1 superstar type? Right. 
And the answer I would give you, and this is sort of what I wrote today, was, well, there aren't that many of those guys <laughs> in the league, and they rarely become available. And the bigger problem that we're starting to see now, just as a thought experiment, and I wrote about this in the story, is how many teams are trying to trade for that guy right now? It's a pretty long list, right? The Knicks are certainly trying to do it. It seems like Philly might be. Brooklyn probably is. The Lakers and the Heat always are. Then you have all of these teams like, you know, the Thunder and the Jazz. And, you know, you go down the list, the Spurs, all these teams that have been hoarding these assets for years and years and years. Sooner or later, they're going to cash those assets in. There are a lot of teams right now that are trying to do the exact same thing that the Knicks are in trading for that next, you know, MVP candidate type guy who becomes available. There aren't that many of those guys. So the truth is, I could tell you they're going to trade for that guy in six months. I could tell you they're going to trade for that guy in two years. We kind of have to see how the market develops. That's a much more complicated question. We'll see. NBA history tells us that one or two guys are going to be disappointed with the way that the playoffs go, and those are the guys that are going to ask out. But I don't have a crystal ball in front of me. I can't tell you if that team is going to be Philly or Dallas or Milwaukee or Cleveland, whoever it's going to be. Like, that's the big, more pertinent long-term question here. Getting a bench score right now would be nice. It might help the Knicks win a first-round series. The long-term championship-related question, which is what the Knicks fans are thinking about, is when are we going to get our Embiid or when are we going to get our Giannis or our Luka? And that question is a lot more complicated for a lot of reasons. And what I would generally just say is we're kind of just in wait, wait, and see mode, right? One of those guys, well, not even one, let's say I named four guys, at most one of them is going to win the title this year, which means the other three are going to be disappointed. So that's the kind of question where you have to just wait and see. That's the more pertinent long-term question. Right. For now, it's those scoring guards off the bench that we got to keep a look at. So you're saying we got a chance. (laughs) You're saying we got a chance. You know, history has not been kind to the Knicks as far as waiting for the stars the last couple decades. Yeah. I'll say this. Guys want to play for the Knicks. The Knicks right now, they're playing, I think, at a 53-win pace over the full season. Yeah. And they're doing that without their MVP caliber guy. They've done such a good job of building up an infrastructure where when you eventually slide that guy in, the rest of the roster makes sense, and they're going to be ready to compete for a championship. So I think guys want to come to the Knicks. Typically, and look, we saw it with Damian Lillard. It's not absolute. He wanted to go to Miami, and he couldn't. When a star wants to go somewhere, more often than not, they get what they want. So I would say, look, be patient. That guy, I think he's going to end up coming. It's just not going to happen by next Thursday. <laughs> so I, so listen, I think the one thing that Nick fans are very well accustomed to, especially under Leon Rose, is patience. Because that's the one thing I think we've been, we've been told, or at least had to bear with for the last couple of years. We're going to get to Leon Rose and the work he's done with the New York Knicks and, you know, have the grade we're going to have for him. But, you know, you, you mentioned Clarkson as well, too. And, you know, a report came out recently from The Athletic stating that actually Jordan Clarkson wants to uh, play for New York. Now, as you mentioned, it seems like New York, everybody wants to play for New York nowadays. They are looking like contenders right now in the NBA. I don't think there's any way to, to really slice that. I know there's a lot of people riding on what's going to happen with Julius Randle. And that really goes into our next topic here uh, with Julius. Thankfully, shout out to Knicks PR. They reported recently that Julius Randle dislocated his right shoulder and will be reevaluated in two to three weeks. So I know we were waiting for an update on that after the MRI. It seems like it's good news if he's going to be reevaluated in two to three weeks. 
But Sam, in my opinion, the word reevaluated doesn't really mean that he's going to be free. It just means they're going to look at it again and he could potentially miss another two to three weeks. We don't know. So what's your no, thoughts I on that? Also, just generally say different yeah. teams tend to mean different things like, you know, Philly and Brooklyn tend to be teams that are a little bit more opaque where they say one thing and then, you know, maybe it takes a little bit longer. Like there are some teams that are like that. Look, two to three weeks, even if that's just the reevaluation window. Mm -hmm. That's a best case scenario, right? Like we were all watching on Saturday when that happened. The instinct when you see an injury like that is, oh, he's done for the year. Yeah. Two or three weeks, like at back by the end of February, possibly like, okay, that's, that's a home run. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, the thing with the, with the Randall thing as well, too, the two to three week projection, I think the, for reevaluation purposes, I understand it, but we kind of understand who the player type of Randall is, right? Doesn't want to miss a game, always wants to be available for his team. I think he's going to make sure he's back within two to three weeks. I, I just don't want him to rush back. And I think Carmelo Anthony made a, made a point on the uh, 7 p.m. podcast that he has as well. Two shout out to them. He had mentioned that Randall can take this time to rest because during the season, you don't really get a chance to, uh, to rest. But the thing is, if the Knicks miss him for an extended period of time, I don't know how hot they can stay. I know they've been winning now, and of course, they've been playing some good teams. I mean, the Jazz, not the greatest team, but in terms of offensive uh, efficiency in January, I think they're the second best. So, I mean, that was a good team to beat and dominate, but I don't know how long they can withstand that without Randall. What do you think uh, with the Knicks without Randall? Can they sustain the dominance without him, or is this going to come to a crashing halt at some point? Well, I mean, the catalyst behind their winning since the OG trade has been defense. I think you can more or less maintain where you've been defensively without Julius Randle. Precious Achua played, I think, 40 minutes against Utah the other night, which, look, I don't know how many coaches in the NBA are giving Precious 40 minutes. It's it's Tibbs, and I'm struggling to come up with a second name. But, look, the one thing Precious does is, like, man, he can defend, and he can defend a lot of different positions and a lot of different schemes. I don't think they're going to keep winning. I don't know what the pace is, like 90% of their games or whatever it is since they got OG. Can you go 500 across a couple weeks? Sure. You also have the advantage of you have all-star break in this time, in this general time frame anyway. You also, like, for all you know, one of the teams you play in the next week or 10 days makes a big trade and you catch them on a night where they don't have a couple of guys. So, you know, they're integrating new people. This is a time of year where, like, look, there's ne you never want to have an injury. February, March is kind of the time of year where you're best suited to – weather the storm so look the 90 percent win rate whatever it's been with og it's been something like that that was never sustainable they're gonna be okay in the short term if randall had been out for the rest of the year we'd be having a different conversation but i think they can hold down the fort so th here's the thing if they hold down the fort i've been talking about this sam and i don't know if it's if it's something i'm creating or maybe i should be creating it nick's culture because I, I can't explain how you, you lose OG Ananobi, you lose Julius Randle, next man up mentality, and they're still winning. They're still dominating. Eight, six out of the eight games they've won have been blowouts. They've blo so it's not, they're not even beating the teams. They're destroying these teams. And it then comes up to Tom Thibodeau. And one of the questions I got to ask is, in your opinion, will Tom Thibodeau receive an extension? Because each and every game the Knicks win, it looks like it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten the extension already, to be honest. I mean, look, <laughs> you talk about Knicks culture. It's not really Knicks culture. It's Tibbs culture. Like, this is a guy who won a road game one on against the Miami Heat with LeBron James in the playoffs. 
I think Nate Robinson started at point guard for him in that game. Like, how many – like, this is what Tibbs has done his entire coaching career is, you know, you give him spare parts and he makes you – I don't know what the equivalent of lemonade is with these lemons, but you get the idea. Um, yeah, this is kind of what Tibbs does. He's been the head coach for four years, and three of them, they've really significantly outperformed expectations. He's not a perfect head coach. I think he's kind of sanded down some of the edges. He's not running guys into the ground to quite the same degree he was, A, in Chicago, like when Luol Dang was playing 70 minutes a game. But really, even like Julius Randle, I think he was down he was at 38 minutes that first Tibbs year, mm-hmm. down to 36. Let's, let's call that progress. You know, the offense, I think, look, they're not the Nuggets. They're not going to be whipping the ball around the court. But the offenses look better, especially with OG kind of clarifying some things from a shooting perspective. He's doing a really good job. He's one of the best defensive coaches in the NBA. He's built a really coherent culture around these Villanova guys. Like, I would be very surprised if he is not extended in the somewhat near future. You know, a lot of fans, if you went back a year, would have hated everything you just said. But nobody one of that list on it. Like right. I was not crazy about Tibbs until really this year. Like mm-hmm. I thought he struck me as somebody who the game had kind of passed him by. And I thought the first when the year when Randall won most improved player, I thought, Oh, this is smoke and mirrors. This is unsustainable shooting and just regular season toughness. And then the Atlanta series happens. And I thought, well, there we go. The Knicks are going to go back to being a lottery team. And I was wrong about that. And last year, I think thought he, did a lot more than what that roster suggested he should have. And this year has kind of been a masterpiece. Like, I don't think he's going to win coach of the year, but if you put him in that conversation, I think he should get votes. I don't think that's crazy. It's funny. I talked to a couple of Nick fans that I trust about the, the topic as well. And they're usually all over the place and they would agree. It's hard not to say it because again, it, it's the dominance that we're seeing now. That's hard to explain. And the only thing you can imagine it to is that you said, if it's Nick's culture, Thib's culture, whatever it is, it's leading to winning. And I think that's the, the main thing. But when you're talking about winning, and we're talking about Tom Thibodeau, we got to look a level up. When we look a level up, we see the Nick's brain trust. Gerson Rosas, Worldwide West, and then obviously my guy, Leon Rose. Now, he's caught a lot of flack, myself included. I've definitely held a couple of shots at him. I, I, l- listen, I like patience. I think sometimes you could be overly patient. I think that was the case at some points. Um, he could have got certain players. He didn't. But then you look at back at what he's done now. Isaiah Hartenstein looks like a great signing. Jalen Brunson, steal of a signing. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo, my goodness. Career high, nine made threes last game. It seems like what he's doing is working. The OG and Anobi trade, a success. What grade would you give Leon Rose at this point in time in his tenure with the New York Knicks? I mean, it's going to be an A. It's just a matter of, do I have to give him the minus just because they're not, like, really a championship team yet? Right. I mean, like, look, let's just go back in time a little bit. I grew up in New York. I am nominally a Knicks fan, although technically I'm a reporter, so, you know, objectivity. How many guys have run the Knicks since I started watching basketball? Scott Ladden was a disaster. Isaiah Thomas was, I got worse. Donnie Walsh was okay. Kind of ran off the wheels at the end. Um, you know, like Steve Mills was a disaster. Like how many of Knicks executives in the uh, like head of Knicks basketball operations in the past 25 years have had a coherent vision for the team? Forget about if they executed it, just have had a plan. And clearly Leon Rose has a plan. Like if nothing else that puts him at the top of this list, if you really try, like what are the mistakes? Like where wouldn't you give him 
if not an A and A minus. Like the only thing I can really think of as like a pretty significant mistake was Obi Toppin over Tyrese Halliburton. But the truth of that is, A, if they would have drafted Tyrese Halliburton and they would have kept him, do they have Jalen Brunson? Maybe if they do, is Jalen Brunson quite as good? Is Halliburton quite as good? I don't know. Like I think that's a complicated question. But more likely, if they would have drafted Tyrese Halliburton, they would have traded him for Donovan Mitchell. You'd be looking at a totally different team. Like, I think the Knicks are in a very good position right now. Like, overall, more a lot more of his moves have been successful than have been unsuccessful. They're a star away right now from being a genuine championship contender. I don't remember the last time that was the case. There was that one weird Carmelo year where they had kind of caught on to let's just shoot a billion threes and nobody else is doing that yet. Like, I don't know. Like this is easily the best long-term positioning the Knicks have had in 20 plus years. So yeah, I'll give them an A minus just because they haven't gotten the star yet, but the, the plan has been very thoughtfully laid out and thus far executed well. So yeah, give them an A minus. You know, the thing is, what some of the things that I guess some fans may get on him for is like, you know, when he adds certain players, I think the Cam Reddish thing was a was a little bit of a disaster um, in terms of, I mean, Cam obviously. Cam Reddish is very good. That's just kind of a simple thing. Like, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Like, I've been covering him for the Lakers this year, and he was really good for the first month or so of the right. season. And then injuries happen, and you don't want to, you know, blame it entirely on the player. But, like, Cam Reddish is just a guy who came into the league with a sort of inflated reputation based on how much potential he showed in high school. And then he got to the NBA and he wasn't that good. It's kind of that simple. Um, there are some younger guys who have kind of lost some favor with the Knicks that maybe have more of an argument. Like Quentin Grimes is good. And Quentin Grimes is obviously not in the same position now that he was a year ago. Cameron, just wasn't very good. Like, I, I don't even look at that. That's a non-story to me. <laughs> not even with the first round pick because I think it was no. more so about the first round pick that they that they gave away and they had to give another first round pick to get off him to get Josh Hart so I think some people criticize that move but, yeah. I, but I, I, guess, I guess if you look at the whole grand scheme of things to your point I mean it there might be more run swing I get right. where they were coming from it didn't work and they didn't you know the worst thing you can do as a team or one of the worst things anyway is really commit to a bad idea like say, oh, we paid this guy a lot of money, so he has to be the starter, or we gave up so many picks to get, or we drafted this guy high, and we have to really invest in him. Like sometimes you just know it didn't work out, and you cut bait quickly. And I think that's mostly what they did with Reddish. But one guy who's been asking for the smoke and delivering on every single stage, and I think we got to talk about him already. It's Jalen Brunson, and the question that comes to mind is: Is Jalen Brunson a superstar? He came into the starting this season as basically somebody who wasn't even going to be talked about as maybe an MVP player. I believe Kendrick Perkins was the one who told me the stat on ESPN uh, today, where he was 23rd in MVP voting 24 hours before, after the Jazz game, he turned into 6th in MVP voting. I don't know if that's ever happened with a player before. I can't remember the last time that's happened. But Jalen Brunson has been balling out for the New York Knicks. Basically put them on his back. He's not the only one. Dante DiVincenzo is helping as well too. But it's hard to see what the impact with Jalen Brunson has been. Because when he wasn't playing, you saw how the Knicks look. When he is playing, it's just a masterpiece to watch. I've never seen somebody that small with the footwork that he has command the attention that he does and still be able to do what he does and dance inside the paint. Sam, is is he turning into an all-star before our eyes? Oh, all-stars are a given. Now the, the bigger question is like, 
do we talk all NBA in this season? I think the answer to that is pretty clear. Yes. MVP. I think that's maybe a bridge too far. Superstar. Um, Would you call him a superstar? Superstar. Yeah. I don't, it's a weird word because there's no firm definition of it, but like, I'll put it this way. Cause this is the real, the, the topic that's gone around with Brunson with the Knicks. Can he be the best player on a championship team? I think that's kind of a loaded question. And I, the, the comp I want to make, and I want to stress, I think he's a better player than this, but the comp I want to make is Chris Middleton on the 2021 Bucks. And here's what I mean. Chris Middleton wasn't the best player on that team. Giannis was. And typically, if you're going to win a championship, the, guy, the list of guys in the league who can be the like true number one on that team, it's like six, seven, eight guys. Like, you're talking about guys that are in the MVP race every single year and that have athletic gifts that just, frankly, most of the league doesn't. That's what the Giannis type of guy is for, or the Durant or the LeBron. Brunson physically just does not have what those guys have. And that's fine because I make the Chris Middleton comparison to make the point that when the Bucks won that championship, he was the guy who was making all of the big shots. Right, like Giannis was the best player overall on that team, but when it was close with two minutes left, they would just go to the Middleton Giannis pick and roll, and Middleton would make the shots. So what I mean from a team building perspective from the Knicks is like, say they traded for you know a star big man. I I'll throw out a name. I'm not. No, I don't think this is going to happen. I'm just like say they traded for an Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis was suddenly in the Julius Randle role. I that's not happening. I'm just using a name. Right, right, right. But like, let's say they did something like that. Anthony Davis is a better player than Jalen Brunson. Like overall, he can impact the game in more ways. But if the Knicks were in an Eastern Conference final setting and those were their two best guys, Brunson would be the guy making all of the shots at the end of the game and running the offense. And you might not get the finals MVP for doing that because the guy who's the best player on the team typically will. But that's still a really essential part of actually winning anything deep in the playoffs. The most important single trait you can have in a playoff setting is individual shot creation. It is so hard to score when defense is really bare down and you have two weeks of game planning and scouting to work with. There's a reason that so many playoff games, like, look, we're in the highest scoring NBA season in history right now. I promise (laughs) when we get to the playoffs, we're going to go back to seeing these games that are like 91-86. Having the few guys who can score in that setting is so much more important than I think most people realize, even if it's not coming from the LeBron, the Durant, the like typical best player in a championship kind of guy. Jalen Brunson can get you the points in those situations. He proved everything he needed to prove on that stage last year in the playoffs. He's not going to ever be, I don't think, the guy who's winning regular season MVP. He's probably not ever going to be a top five player in the NBA, but there is a formula to winning a championship that involves having somebody who makes the specific shots and Jalen Brunson takes. So look, is he a superstar? It depends on your definition. I would say yes, but I probably have a looser definition than most people. Do I think he's going to be the best player in a title team? Probably not. Do I think he's going to be a damn important part of a team that competes for titles? Absolutely. Yeah, Jalen Brunson for me, I mean, anything that you thought you knew about him, too short, whatever your narrative was, I don't care. 
he's exposed it all. He's done it all. I think when first when he makes his All Star today, because I believe they're announcing it tonight. So he when, should have been a starter. He should have been announced last. Week. Robbed robbery. I'm not. I didn't even make. I was gonna make a video about it. So many people on YouTube told me to make a video. I didn't want to. I was too angry. I didn't want to curse. I don't want to curse. Okay, that's why I didn't do it. Because it would have been just a, a curse filled rant. Because he should have made it. He is doing things that we've not seen a Nick Point guard do. I can't even remember the last time. I wasn't born when a Nick Point guard was doing what he's doing. Call him the games. It's Clyde. It's that's right. it. that's the only other Knicks point guard that we can make the comparison. To. That's it. And and that and that's that's why we have to say what it is. Everybody wants to talk about this one A stuff. Listen, he is a one. He is that guy. Because you can't do what he's doing if you're not that guy. And if he does it in the playoffs, which I believe he will, because he always shows up there. That's where you have to crown him. When he beats your favorite player, you have to do it. I'm sorry. You can't keep saying he's better than this guy, this guy, and this guy. And then he blows that team out. And then we're not going to talk about it. We have to talk yeah, about only, it a little the bit. The only playoff issue is yeah. when playoff level scouting and game planning is just going to tell you, look, Brunson is going to get you 40 for the Knicks. But the other team is going to look at him and say, like, okay, we're going to run pick and roll and pull him into the play every single time. And there's just not much he's going to be able to do about it defensively. Cleveland was very deliberate about this. Miami, to a lesser extent, um, he does have defensive flaws. Having OG and OB on the team helps a lot in that respect. It's much harder to switch hunt when you have a guy in Ananobi who can kind of just deny the switch. So I would look, he, he does have weaknesses. The physical flaws, like they matter. But yeah, he's going to get you. If you put him in a playoff series against, Milwaukee tomorrow, he's going to average 35. Like, that's what's going to happen. Like, he really is, as far as like a late game scorer type goes, everything that you would want. It's the other stuff that's a little bit more questionable. I definitely understand. I agree with that. I also want to say, in terms of and ones, I think he's, he has 42 and ones right now. Shout out to, by the way, uh, Jeep the Best for supporting the show. Appreciate you, my guy. Appreciate you in the chat. Um, but I believe for and ones, he's the shortest guy right now, six, two of the top five players who have and ones in the league. And he has 42 of them. It's just, it's insane what he is doing at his height. And the reason I mentioned that, cause the other players above him are MVP level, Luca, Giannis, I think LeBron's there. Those are the players he's in the conversation with. If he's in the conversation with those guys, how do you not say He's part of the conversation with the MVPs and all these other people because he's doing what they're doing. I think you have to say it after some point. But I, I, I do want to go into um, another topic here. Which, you know, a lot of fans want to talk about trades. And one of the players that really comes up a lot, it's a player that I've mentioned a lot on this channel and I love and I can say a thousand times why I love him. DeJounte Murray. The, la the last report I heard about DeJounte Murray, shout out to my guy Michael Scott from Hoopsite. He reported that the New York Knicks were looking into trading Quentin Grimes potentially for DeJounte Murray, at least having discussions about that and a smaller deal to decide potentially with A.J. Griffin included. Now, nothing has happened as of yet. You know, we haven't seen anything as of yet. Um, you know, always talks are happening and as closer you get to the trade deadline, you think that the value of some of these players are going to go down. Some players for DeJounte that were in the table before, you had the Lakers, you had the Sixers, you had the Nets. A lot of them are really not there anymore, not as active from what I've heard. So it seems like if the Knicks want to make a move, they can. They definitely can meet any offer. They have the assets to do it. It's really, do they want to do it for a player like Murray? Shout out to Ian Bagley, who reported that Knicks internally did support and like the fit of, uh, you know, DeJounte and Brunson. 
What are your thoughts about this? What have you heard about a DeJounte potentially going to the Knicks? Does that have any steam on it at this point, or is that completely out given the, the Knicks and the winning that they're doing? Yeah, I, I don't think it makes much sense. If you look at when he was playing his best basketball, it was when he was on the Spurs and he got to play point guard. Well, he goes to Atlanta and he's playing with Trey Young and he's playing off the ball a lot more. And I'll give him credit. He's become a better three-point shooter. He's not a good one, but he's league average, something like that. But he's just not nearly as effective a player, especially on offense, as a shooting guard. What position would he play for the Knicks? Like, I'm sorry, Jalen Brunson is going to have the ball most of the time. And Julius Randle commands a ton of possessions as well. DeJounte Murray is a guy that you want to have the ball in his hands a lot. That's why you trade for him. The Knicks don't have that many possessions to go around. So it doesn't make much sense for me. I think the logic, if you were going to do it, there are two reasons you do it. He has been an all-defense player in the past. He has not been that kind of guy in Atlanta. Maybe if you put him in New York where OG is defending the best guy and Murray's defending the second best guy, that makes his life a little bit easier and he can do it. I'm not sure what we'd see. I, I still think he's somebody who's best suited defending point guards, and I think the best point guards OG would defend. So I don't know what how great a fit that is. Then the other reason you potentially trade for him is his contract is pretty valuable. He locked in at a number that I think is lower than his market value. He did that for the long-term security. And I think there are certain teams that would look at that and say, if the cap is going to keep rising as much as it has in the past, and we don't know that it is, but if it does, having a guy locked in at this pretty good number just makes sense. It's good business. If nothing else, we flip him in a year or two. If I were to say a team that I think is likeliest to trade for him, I'd probably say it's the Lakers. Right now, it seems like the hang-up there is on Austin Reeves. Yeah. If I were to guess which team is going to blink there, I would say Atlanta's a bit likelier just because – Look, the Knicks have been into, in on him. They've had the conversations. The Nets have as well. The Lakers have as well. Mm -hmm. If there was a team willing to give up multiple good first-round picks right now, I think he already would have been traded. The fact that we're still having these conversations and we're getting the reporting in circles where, oh, you know, the Knicks were interested and then they were out. Now they're back in and the Lakers want him, but they don't want to give up Reeves. But the Hawks, like, we're going back and forth here in a way that suggests to me that the Hawks are just doing everything in their power to drum up interest. And yeah. There just isn't that much of it right now relative to how good a player he is. I think he can get a good first round pick. I don't know that he's going to get two. So yeah, I would just say, I don't think it's a fit for the Knicks. If I were them, I would be thinking smaller. I would be thinking, get a good six man, get somebody who can replace a lot of what Emmanuel quickly does did for you. And don't be thinking, let's trade for a high-end guy who's making $30 million that's going to command shots and touches that we just don't have. You know, it's the thing, like, I, I, I'm the one, I'm one of the guys who support the Murray because I, I like the defense. And I think, you know, I'm not saying Jalen would be off-ball a lot, but can you imagine if Jalen Brunson is the off-ball person you're passing the ball to? I mean, he did that in Dallas. He's probably better off the ball now. I don't know what his percentage is on catch and shoots, but I'm, this I'm is pretty sure it's high. This is three-point shooting season. I don't have the numbers right. in front of me. Look, he can do it. Like, yeah. There's no question about that. But it's sort of like when the Lakers traded for Russell Westbrook. Mm -hmm. LeBron James can play off of the ball because he's LeBron James and he can do anything. <laughs> right. But is that the best use of him? That's a good point. Probably not. Like, yeah. Jalen Brunson is so good on the ball that, like, sure, you can play him off of the ball. 
And if you're playing him off the ball because he's next to Luka Doncic, okay, like great. <laughs> right. But I would argue that there's not a single player that's realistically available at this deadline mm-hmm. that is good enough on the ball that you want to take the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hands. You know, the thing is, the the DeJounte thing, I started saying it a lot because the assist numbers for Jalen, not saying they weren't great, but they weren't as high as you want them to be for a point guard. Not in my eyes. After the OG and Anobi trade, he's bumped that up to almost seven to eight. So there's no complaints anymore. You can't complain about anything. There's nothing to complain about. He's doing everything and at an elite level. And the way he's getting others involved, I mean, the way he involved Precious Achua in the game against the Jazz was just unbelievable. Those bounce assists inside the paint within traffic, that's a vision right there. He knows how to do it. So I, I can understand what you're saying here. I know some people do want DeJounte. I'm one of them. I still would like the move because I, I think it could work. And I still think it plays into the Knicks' whole scheme of if you want to trade for that star, I think DeJounte would look good under Tom Thibodeau. His value would rise higher than it is right now in the Hawks. Potentially use him to get that star or superstar that you want maybe down the road. So maybe that's why you do it. Like you said, the contract is valuable. So maybe there's a ploy for that to do it. But, you know, why ruin a good thing is a lot of the... The main thing I as well, too. If you're going to do it, yeah. the structure you want to do it as is the two first-round picks this year because those are picks you're going to want to trade anyway because you're not going to have minutes for those guys. So if you could trade those two first-round picks and then the Fournier expiring and maybe Grimes is in there, maybe he isn't. But like, if you do it in such a way that doesn't disturb your long-term asset base and you keep the picks that you might actually trade down the line for insert MVP candidate X – Right. <laughs> okay, you can talk me into it. If you're giving up picks down the line that those are the more valuable picks, and eh, it's not worth it to me. So one of the things I wanted to talk, touch base with you on is uh, the Quentin Grimes situation. He's another player in a line of players over the last couple of years that played for the New York Knicks that have vented frustration really about the role that he's played uh, with the Knicks. You know, recently, I think he's done that twice now, even after the trade. I think we thought his minutes were going to go up and Really, that's not really been the case. Uh, Miles McBride's played a little bit more. Um, now, he has he is dealing with an injury right now. I think he's questionable for tonight's game. Uh, don't know the status as of yet. But um, is, it, is it something not great in terms of perception for the New York Knicks when you have players that are coming out saying they're frustrated with their role while they're playing with the Knicks and Tom Thibodeau? Is that something that you don't want to have out there if you're the New York Knicks? So the kind of players that tend to find themselves in this situation are young guys who haven't been paid yet. Now, like Cam uh, Cam Reddish was an example of this as well. Tom Thibodeau typically, and I say typically because there are exceptions, Emmanuel Quickly was one of them. Tom Thibodeau typically doesn't like relying on young guys if he can avoid it. He barely played Jimmy Butler as a rookie. Like, Tibbs is typically going to prefer to play his vets, like for better or for worse. That's not a great situation to be in if you're somebody like Quentin Grimes, who he's extension eligible after this season. Like, this year was is pretty important as far as how much he's going to make, you know, in the prime years of his career. Tibbs plays a short rotation, and for a variety of reasons, some of which relate to his performance, some of which relate to the roster, he has kind of fallen out of favor, and that's unfortunate. But ultimately, if you're thinking about the kinds of players that Knicks might be recruiting, the kind of guys that are going to fill out the championship roster when they get to that point, it's going to be more veterans, and those are guys that are a bit more understanding of how this stuff works. So I wouldn't look at it as something that's you know, a problem for the Knicks as they go. And frankly, like, look, I don't want to say he's outplayed him, but like, 
Deuce McBride shooting whatever it is, 45% from three. Yeah, he's blistering right now. Given the way that he defends, is a really significant development because they, A, they locked him into like a criminally tiny contract, like four years, 12 million. Like that's almost minimum money. Like that's the kind of contract where if you're a second apron team in two or three years, you're going to be thanking the Lord you have this guy on your roster making peanuts. If if Deuce McBride is going to be filling that longer-term role as the, like, young guard who defends really hard and now is suddenly making threes, I don't know where Quentin Grimes at a contract that he would probably want fits into this. So I think they're probably going to trade him. I don't know what his value is right now. It's unfortunate because I think he's a good player, and I think – in a situation where he gets the right minutes and has the right guys around him, he's probably going to flourish, but it doesn't seem like it's working out in New York. And look, it's going to be sad if he goes to, I don't know, insert contender X and that team turns him into this great three and D guy. It's going to be annoying to look back and say, Oh man, he could have been a Nick. I just don't know that it's going to happen here. It seems like he's fallen out of favor with Tibbs. I don't look at that as some trend that's going to turn off guys in the future. I, I just look at that as a young guy who knows he wants to get paid. This was an important year for him in that respect. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen based on the way things shook out this year. But he's still a good player. I think he's going to be fine when he gets to his next team. Or you never know. If for whatever reason he finds his way back into a more prominent role, I think he can absolutely still help the Knicks. It just He had a slow start to the year and spiraled from there. So the thing is, uh, you know, the other person that we're not mentioning that you mentioned the young player there, but what about the aging vet in uh, <laughs> in Evan Fournier right there? What it, what's going on with? Because I, I feel like he's he's kind of the outlier there with with this whole thing, right? Because now he's there, he's basically just there waiting for the Knicks to to make well, a trade that they can make and match salaries with at this point. Yeah, you kind of feel for him because he certainly has made it clear that he wants to play, and who know, maybe when he gets traded and probably waived if maybe kept i don't know maybe eventually he'll find his way back into somebody's rotation tibbs does not like playing all offense guys now you make an exception for jalen brunson because he's that good i think they had this one idea about what kind of team they were going to be when they signed him that was 2020 offseason i think it was or 2021 offseason where they had this idea of oh last year we kind of we figured out defense we had randall generating a lot of our offense now let's put shooting around him with, you know, Fournier and Kemba and things went in a different direction and they found players that made more sense. And yeah, he kind of just became matching salary. I guess he's valuable matching salary, by the way, like that team option is pretty valuable where if you're a team trading for him, you can trade him as an expiring if you want, or you can hold on to him for another year and then potentially use him in another trade that you want to make. So yeah, he's, he just doesn't defend well enough to justify minutes on the Knicks right now. Maybe he can play for somebody else. Maybe he doesn't. Honestly, it's been so long since he's gotten consistent playing time that I truly don't know what he would look like when he gets on the floor. So, yeah, I think he'll probably be the matching salary in whatever trade the, the Knicks make in the next week. But I, it was never going to happen with the Knicks. So, yeah, I don't want to say good riddance, but it's time. It's definitely time. You guys, you guys to get off the uh, 
he definitely has to get off the team. Sam, again, if you haven't already followed him, his at's on the screen. Hit that button. Support is free. Follow this man. Again, he is an NBA reporter for CBS Sports. He just dropped an article today, NBA trade deadline. Why uh, Why the gap between uh, superstar supply and demand has never seemed wider. There's a lot of different points in there. You got some points about the Knicks, the Lakers, some other teams that have no business even thinking about making trades. It's crazy. But this is why we have reporters like this, so they can break it all down so we understand what's going on. So please give us some support. Give them a follow. Read the article because every one of those click counts. Trust me when I say that. So please, thank you so much. Sam, again, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, man, love coming on here. Love talking about the Knicks. I, I do live in New York, despite the fact that I cover more Lakers stuff. So <laughs> my friends are always happy when I get to do a Knicks show. So, you know, thank you for having me. Always love coming on talking about the Knicks. Absolutely. Thank you again, Sam. And again, guys, appreciate you guys. That's going to do it for this live stream. Again, if you're not subscribed, hit that subscribe button. But me and Sam, we're out of here. We'll catch you in the next live stream. Peace and love, guys. We are out.